might get a few more too, but uh, Colossians chapter 3, Colossians chapter 3, and as you're turning there, we've got someone that's going to be working with them today, I believe, correct? So, yes, we do, and so uh, the dates are going to be working with, right? Are the dates? Yes, okay, I thought so. Like, remember to dismiss them today, so that's a good thing. All right, and you're getting to Colossians chapter 3. Uh, we've had some good messages in song today. Uh, if you haven't noticed, I've, I've been moved by the songs. I hope you have been, and you've been thinking, because that's, that's what it's about. You know, singing isn't just to get to the message, okay? It really isn't. Singing is designed to, to uh, give us opportunity to worship God, uh, to think about Him, to, to serve Him better, to love Him more. And, uh, and so I hope you, you allow everything in the service to bring you closer to the Lord. Uh, but today we have opportunity to learn from him and hear from him in Colossians chapter 3. And uh, I'll begin reading in verse 12. So follow along if you, if you would. We are, I know, kind of in the middle of things, but uh, I'll, we'll explain and kind of get us to this place in a few moments. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any. Even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful." Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Father, I'm so thankful that you have given us your word and that it has instruction for life. And and I ask you, Lord God, this morning that you touch our hearts with the truth found here in Colossians 3. Help us, help everyone in this room, Lord God, to um, have needs met today and to be stirred about their walk with you. If there be anyone here that is without Jesus Christ, Lord, I pray this would be the day of salvation Help them to realize what you've done for them as we uh, do some review and, and think about what you've provided and what you've done for believers. And then for those who know you, Lord God, um, stir us uh, about putting on the right things in life. And uh, we need you to meet with us in power. We need your word to change us. Thank you for giving it. Thank you that it's quick and powerful. And today, uh, make us different because of what we hear. And I ask these things and pray them in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a woman who, a number of years back, wrote to Ann Landers and told her story. If you don't know Ann Landers, she was one who uh, actually was a syndicated columnist, and she would write answers to people who were struggling and going through difficult times. And sometimes people wrote uh, encouraging letters, just things about what had happened in their life. And this was one of those stories. She wrote, Dear Ann Landers, I'm 46 years old, divorced. I have three grown children. 
After several months of chemotherapy following a mastectomy for breast cancer, I was just starting to put my life together when the doctor called with the results of my uh, last checkup. I was devastated. More cancer. My relatives had not been supportive at all. I was the first person in the family to have cancer. They didn't know how to behave toward me. They tried to be kind, but I had the feeling they were afraid it was contagious. Uh, they kept their distance, um, and they called on the phone to see how I was doing. Quite honestly, this really hurt. Last Sunday, I headed for the laundromat. You see, the same people there all the time. You say good morning, you make small talk. I was trying on that day not to look depressed, but my spirits were really low. As I was taking my laundry out of the car, I looked up and saw a man, one of the regulars, leaving with his bundle. He smiled. He said, good morning. How are you today? I lost control of myself. I blurted out, this is the worst day of my life. I have more cancer. And then I began to cry. He came over. He put his arms around me, and he just let me sob. And then he said, I understand. My wife's been through it. After a few minutes, I felt better. I thanked him for his understanding, and I went with my laundry into the shop. About 15 minutes went by, and in came the man and his wife. She walked over to me without saying a word, hugged me, and she said, feel free to talk to me. Once I was where you are now, I know what you're going through. She continued, Ann, I can't tell you how much that meant to me. Here was a total stranger taking her time to give me emotional support and courage to face the future at a time when I was ready to give up. I hope God gives me the chance to do for someone else what that wonderful woman did for me. Meanwhile, she wrote, please let your readers know that even though there are a lot of hard-hearted people in this world, there are some incredibly generous and loving ones too. And then she said, sign me a witness in Rockford, Illinois. You know, there are hurting people all around us. Outside this church. In this church. People who need someone to care. People who need a, uh, someone to, to be patient, forgiving, kind, loving, to show mercy. All things that God talks about in Colossians chapter 3. And all things that God challenges Christians to put on. God may not put into your path someone who's struggling with cancer today that needs a hug. But I can tell you this. God will put into your path people who have needs. And if you'll be what he's called you to be in this passage, if you'll do what he asks you to do in this passage, you'll be ready to be a blessing like that couple was to a woman at the laundromat. And it's my prayer that God will stir you about this today. Really, that God would challenge you to put on the things that he encourages you to put on in this passage. 
It's interesting to me, the more I was reading through Colossians chapter 3, I actually had thought that we would go on and that we'd skip over the list of things that God tells us to put off and put on. And it wasn't because I wanted to skip over those things. It's because a lot of times we preach on those things and we talk about them and we hear them all the time. But God wouldn't let me get away from the things that we're supposed to put on. And it was interesting, as I've been reading through this passage in Colossians chapter 3, actually had been preparing to preach the end of the chapter and move on to chapter 4, but we're getting stuck here a little bit because these things really are important for life. What was interesting, though, to me is that I was reading about the things that God wants us to put off, and those are the verses we didn't read, but they're, they're a little bit earlier there in chapter 3. God talks about bad things, sinful things, and they all are, most of them are things that are related to how people treat people. Adultery and fornication and, and all sorts of evil things are talked about. And God says, that's what a Christian is to put off. But what was intriguing to me is that when God talked about what Christians are to put on, every one of those things impacts other people. Everyone. Everyone are things that people around you need, whether it's folks in your family, people in this church, or people in the community around us. And these are things that aren't just important because they're important for your relationship with God. They're important because people need them. And you have the privilege as God's child of bringing these things that people need possessing these things that people need that you can share and that you can, if you would, use to be a blessing. To, if you will, give a hug to someone who has a need. So this morning, let's look at what God tells us to put on, starting in verse 12. And I hope you will be stirred and challenged by this passage to be a Christian who puts these things on. By the way, this is one of those messages that, quite honestly, if you have an invitation, and, and we may, I, you would think that just about every Christian would have to come up. Because the truth of the matter is, these things can all be worked on, no matter where you're at in your Christian life. It doesn't matter if you've been saved for years and you have these qualities. These are things you can work at and you can improve on. It doesn't matter whether you've been doing some of these things. Quite honestly, it's awful hard to get through this list and not say, wow, I got a little bit of work in that area. I've got something I could do there. But even if you could say, I have these things, quite honestly, these are things we can work at continually putting on to our life because the truth is these are things a lot of times we put off. <laughs> we take off. And God wants us to have these things put onto our life. So let's see what God has to say. But before we ever get to the list, he says, put on. And what's the word right after that in verse 12? Therefore. And if you see the word therefore, you got to find out what it's therefore. All right. So what is it therefore? And why is the writer telling us we're supposed to put something on therefore? Well, in order to understand that, you got to go back. And I know you're tired of going back because we've been doing that every time as we've gone through the, the book of Colossians, we keep going back to chapter 1. So guess where we have to go back? To chapter 1. That's right. Because in chapter 1, the writer tells us that Jesus Christ is the preeminent one. Yes. Let's say it together because one of these days you're going to get this sinking in. All right. And you won't forget it. Jesus Christ is the preeminent one. All right, let's say it again. He is the 
preeminent one. All right, he's preeminent in salvation. You can read about that in actually a number of verses there. He is the preeminent one. He is the only one, by the way, by which a man needs to be saved. If you're here and you're not part of the family of God, the only way to be saved is faith in Jesus Christ. Christ alone. He's the preeminent one. There is no salvation. There's no justification. There's no redemption. That's all talked about in, in Colossians chapter 1. He is the preeminent one in creation. There is no creator. There is no world. There is nothing that you see without Jesus Christ. He is before all things, and by him all things consist. He's the one who made all things. He's the one who holds all things together right now by the power of his might. Jesus Christ is the preeminent one. Jesus Christ is the preeminent one in salvation. Jesus Christ is the preeminent one in creation. Jesus Christ is the preeminent one in the church. There is no church without Jesus Christ because it, without the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is no salvation. If there's no salvation, there is no church. And Jesus Christ is the founder of the church. He is the, he is the, the cornerstone. He's the pillar of the church. There is no church without Christ. He's the head of the church. He's the preeminent one. And so, as people who are part of his church, if you're saved, as those who have been have put their trust in Christ and seen him as a preeminent one in salvation, as Jesus Christ is the preeminent creator of all things, we ought, we ought be motivated, we ought be, we ought be moved this morning to put on these things in our life because the preeminent one says they are important. So put on therefore, because we serve the preeminent one. These things are important to your life. But not just because he's the preeminent one, but also because he's the compassionate one. Go back to chapter 2. Actually, we could look at the beginning of chapter 3, verse 1. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Look, Jesus Christ has done wonderful things for you if you're part of his family. No wonder he tells you to put these things on. Because because you were totally undeserving of what he did for you. Look, if you would, back in chapter 2, I said we'd go back there. Verse 12, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. And you, here's the description, being dead in your sin and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of his, uh, the way, nailing it to his cross. What a wonderful God we serve. You know, all, every sin of my life, if you wanted to, if you wanted to make a, a list, uh, I, I know there wouldn't be many for mine, but, but if, you, no, if you wanted to make a list, man, it would be the longest thing in the world. And Jesus Christ took all my sins, past, present, future, every one of them, and when he was nailed to the cross, my sins were nailed there. And the moment I trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, he took care of my sin. In fact, he talks about that actually in Colossians chapter 3 and in verse, um, in, in verse 12, the verse we're reading. He says, put on therefore as the elect of God. What's the next word? Holy. He's talking about believers. He says, you are holy. Now, we don't always live that way, but Jesus Christ made us that way. When the Father looks at, at us, he looks at us through the, the blood of Jesus Christ and sees us as holy ones. Ones who have been set apart from sin. My sins were nailed to the cross. And so I have a great motivation in this passage. When he says, put on therefore, you, you can't get past the therefore. You really got to take some time to think this through. The preeminent one says, do this. The compassionate one says, do this. 
I have done so much for you. I have provided so much for you. I am the great king. Now, look, put these things onto your life because those around you need it. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, the motivation. I want you to see your position. It's amazing that he doesn't go into the list before he tells us a couple things about Christians. He says, you're elect of God. He says, you're holy and beloved. So let me, let's just take a moment to think about those things. You are elect. Those who are part of the family of God are elect. Now, you say, what, pastor, are you a Calvinist? No, I'm not. I'm not a Calvinist. And any Christian who understands the Bible shouldn't be. But the Bible does tell us that those who are in Jesus Christ are elect. You say, now, what do you mean by that? And how could that possibly be? I can't explain it all, but the Bible does tell us that those who are in Christ God knew before the foundation of the world was ever made people who would trust in him. Foreknowledge is the basis of election. And God knowing who would become part of his family, God knowing that I, when I was seven years of age, would pray to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior by faith, that God made me and God designed it and God had written down, that's one of my elect. And because of that, because I am one of his elect, I should be motivated I should be motivated to put these things on because these are important to my God. And they're things that my God tells me are important to my life. So I'm elect one. And so my position in Christ should lead me to, to say, God, you've done for me something I, I couldn't do for myself. I'm, I'm yours. I'm your chosen one. And so, God, I, I'm going to give you my best. and I'm going to do my best. So the position, you're elect, you're holy. We already just talked, we just talked about this. But all my sins have been taken care of. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm perfect. By the way, if, it, if I was, I wouldn't have to be told to put on these things. You know, these people who talk about sinless perfection are just, honestly, they, they don't understand the Bible. You know, a great majority of the New Testament deals with the fact that once I believe in Jesus Christ, I'm not perfect. And I've got a lot to do in my life to change. Now, God has made me holy. There's, there's, um, we use the word sanctification. Do you, do you understand the word? I've, I've talked about it many times, but I want to explain it real quickly. There's different aspects of sanctification in the Bible. If you don't understand this, you won't understand what the Bible teaches about the matter of salvation and actually about, about a lot of things that go on after your salvation. There's a sense in which... When I trusted Christ, not a sense, there's a reality in which God made me perfectly clean. Every sin has been removed. Every sin has been nailed to the cross. Past, present, and future. And God, as far as my standing before him, sees me as completely sanctified all the time, every day. I'm holy. That is an amazing truth. Now, I don't live that way all the time. God sees me that way because as far as my position is concerned, I am completely sanctified. I'm completely set apart, completely holy as far as my position is concerned. As far as my practice is concerned, I'm not. And that's why God has to tell me over and over in the Scripture, put off the wrong things, put on the right. He tells me over and over in the Bible, and in the book of Peter. He tells me in the book of, of Ephesians. He teaches in this book of Colossians that, hey, look, you, 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 you're holy, but you're not holy. In fact, in Peter, he says this, Be ye therefore holy, even as your Father, is, which is in heaven, is holy. And, and yet, 
He tells us here in this passage we're holy. Well, how can that be? Because there are different aspects of sanctification. Positionally, I'm sanctified. In practice, I'm not, and I need to work at it, and I need to be pleasing to God, and I need to take steps to put on and put off the things. Things that are displeasing, put off. The things that are pleasing, put on. So I can live what God has made me in position. Now, someday, there's going to be an ultimate sanctification. All right? And when I stand before Jesus Christ, I won't struggle with sin anymore. Aren't you glad about that? I will be holy, and there won't be a battle anymore. I won't have to, I won't have to battle with, with traffic that gets me angry anymore. You know, isn't that a wonderful thing? I won't have to, I won't have, to uh, have trouble getting along with Brother Umstead. We'll get a, in heaven, we are going to get along all the time. Can you believe that? That is. That'll be a miracle, won't it? Right, thank you very much. I appreciate that. All right. Um, I, I love Brother Umstead. You know, well, he, I love it because he's sitting right there. He's always just like pickable material, all right? But Brother Umstead and I do. We get along real well. But uh, the, the truth of the matter is when we get to heaven, um, we won't have any kind of sin nature that will be dealt with. Um, and that is a wonderful wonderful aspect of sanctification the Bible talks about. But right now, God sees me as holy, and he wants me to live that way. He not only calls me holy, and and that's an amazing thing that God would call me that, and that God could see me that way, but it's all because of Christ. No wonder he tells me to put off and put on things that please him. But notice as well, he calls me beloved. Um, This is amazing. Um, and, And... Brother Umstead would say amen to this one. God loves me. God loves me. God loves me. If you have received Christ as Savior, you are one of the beloved. You're loved of God. That's an amazing thing. It's a precious thing. When you just consider this first part of this verse, it's awful hard to imagine any Christian saying, I'm not going to do these things. To understand that God has made me holy, that God loves me, that I'm his elect, understand that he's the preeminent one, that he did everything. He died, was buried, and rose again so that I might be his. It's hard to imagine anyone saying, nah, no, these things aren't going to be important to me. Anyone get challenged by that? It should be. So we see our motivation, the therefore. We see our position, which also ought to be a motivation for us to walk with God. Now we get to the list of action. That's right. Now we get to the list of action, things that God wants us to do. Now, we're reminded, though, before we get to the list, you say, Pastor, you already said that once. That's right. Before we get to the list, we're reminded of something. What is the first? What are the first two words? Say it in verse 12. Put on. Let's try it again, all right? Put on. First two words tell us something, a few things that we need to know. First of all, that these things aren't natural. Now, some people are uh, more compassionate than others, you know, kind of by, we're diff- we have different personalities. So, um, 
you know, someone by nature, uh, not, well, not our sinful nature, by the way, but someone just because they may have a tendency to be a little bit more compassionate because of their personality may show more compassion to people. But the truth is, what God is asking about in these verses is not something that we all naturally have. It's something that we're going to have to work at. It's something we're going to have to do something about. It's something we're going to have to make a choice. We're going to have to say, okay, look, these are not part of my life. I'm going to put them on because God wants me to and because of the fact that he loves me and I'm holy and, and I'm elect and because he is the preeminent one, I want to do this for my God. So I'm going to put these things on. But I've got to understand that there is going to be somewhat probably a struggle a little bit. There's going to be a battle in this matter. It's not just going to happen. It's not one day I'm going to wake up. And by the way, some people think the Christian life is kind of that way. I'm waiting for God to do something so that I can overcome this area of my life, so I can do what God wants me to do. And God says, do it. God says, put forth the effort. God says, there's involvement on your part. Putting on is literally the idea of clothing yourself. Now, I would take it off, except I'm wired to my coat, all right? But it's, 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 taking, it's taking, taking things off and putting things on, just like you would clothe yourself. So this is something you're going to have to work at. It's not just going to happen. It's, it's a matter of choice. You can choose the path that's talked about here, or you can choose not to. Now, you won't please the one who's preeminent if you choose not to. But you can put these things on. By the way, it's also encouraging when he says put on. Because it reminds me that I can do this. These are things that I can put on. I can, I can, by the grace of God, add these things to my life and have an impact upon people around me. If I'm willing. If I'll do the work involved. If I will put these things on. And some things I may need to put on more than other things I need to put on. Because, uh, because somewhat uh, uh, because of personality, whatever it may be. But it's going to involve effort. It's going to involve a choice. It's going to involve work. But I can do these things. Anyone who says, well, I can't. I can't love so-and-so. It doesn't understand what God has done. The preeminent one has done for you. He has given you that ability. So he says, now, put these things on. Oh, what does God tell me to put on? Now we get to the list. You say, finally, just, I, I mean, how long did you take, Pastor, to get to, to get to the list? I know. And the list is, is, uh, is challenging. First thing God tells me to put on, isn't this a great one? Bowels of mercies. Sounds really good, doesn't it? <clears throat> you know, when you start with that one, it's kind of like, oh, wow, you're kidding. What is that? What are bowels of mercies. Um, well, uh, let's think it through. If someone does something extraordinarily nice for another person, um, how would we word that? If, if someone um, just, just uh, maybe goes out of their way and, and does something extremely kind for someone who maybe was totally undeserving, how would we word that? We might say, that they, they love them from the bottom of their heart. In Scripture, when in the Old Testament times, in the day of Christ, they talked about good deeds coming from the bowels. That sounds really nice. But they're talking about it coming from the, the depths of the inside 
out and actually it's probably a better picture than ours but in our understanding we would say doing it from the heart as someone from the heart does a deed of kindness it wasn't deserved it was kind of out of the way it was kind of hard but man they did it from their heart and that's what God is saying here we're to have a heart of kindness from our heart, from, from the inner man, from our inner being, God wants us to put on um, kindness, uh, mercy. The word actually means pity or to be compassionate. Not to pity someone, oh, I pity you. All right, not in that sense. But in the sense that you really are concerned about and you're moved by the pain that someone else is feeling. You have pity for them. You say, man, they're having a tough time. I know that, um, I know that they've, whatever, they've lost their job and they, they, need, they, they need a job. I know that they found out they have cancer. I know that they got this, and, and I'm, I have pity on them. I, I feel for them, and wow, they have had so many things going on in their life. Have you ever, have you ever met people like that, you know? And, and from the depths of your heart and from the, from the bowels, from your bowels, okay, according to New Testament times, just from the inside, you just want to do what you can to be of help. And that's what God tells me to put on. Compassionate. Um, maybe like that couple in the opening illustration. Just, hey, I, I, I got a shoulder. Cry on it. Come on. Um, I care. I, I, I'm moved by what's going on in your life. Have you? Our, our son used to play play baseball. So here, here you're, you're at a ball game. I, I can imagine. I can almost see the scenario, a t-ball game, and you know t-ball. Those kids, no one catches the ball. The kid just starts running. Once they hit the ball, they just start running. Even if it's like a foot and a half in front of the home plate, the kid starts running, and they never stop. You know, they go to first base and then they just keep running to second base. Sometimes they just run into the outfield because kids, you know, at that age, you just never know what's going to happen. But they never stop. So basically, the kid runs all around the bases. Even if it was like a foot and a half away, generally, he's going to end up getting home, uh, you know, just because that's the way it goes. Well, here in this t-ball game, this this kid, you know, swings with all his might. And rather than hitting the, the tee, uh, he actually hits the ball. And the ball flies into the outfield. And it comes down right conk on the top of some kid's head. So uh, it wasn't that the kid was, well, he probably was, you know, looking at the flowers and everything because kids never get the ball in the outfield in T-ball, you know. And, and so he wasn't paying attention, but bam, it just wonks him right on the head. And here's this kid, and you can see it coming, can't you? You know, you can see the, the tears. But he doesn't want to cry because he's a tough boy. Or, or girl, it happens to be in T-ball or whatever. I'm not going to cry, but you can see it coming. All right, so what's dad saying? Dad's saying, shake it off, son. You're going to be okay. It's fine. Good. Go get the ball. What's mom doing? Mom's crying, you know, and she's about, well, maybe it's the other way around in your home. I don't know, but, but you know, and mom is, mom is running out there, and she's just like, she grabs her son, and, and he's kind of like, leave me alone, mom, you know, or whatever. Maybe he's just crying, and he wants mom, because T-ball, you just never know how they're going to respond or whatever. But she's out there, and she's just, okay, that's bowels of mercies. It is. Dad needs to put it on. The mom, mom's got it. It's just. I see a need. I see what's happened. 
and I'm, I'm moved, and I'm concerned. And, and quite honestly, the truth is, we could probably all work at being observant and caring. Put on a heart that says, I, I'm going to care about others. I'm going to be observant to what's going on, and I, I'm, I'm going to be ready to, to put my arm around them, to give a shoulder to cry on, um, to give them a hug, and just say, whatever I can do to be a help, I'm here. That's important, isn't it? You know, your kids need it. Kids probably need dad and mom. Shake it off. You're going to be fine. And mom. Come here, son. Um, but the bowels of mercy are just needed. They're needed in our day. Do you know God God calls on us to do what he's done for us? God, God had bowels of mercy toward us. That's why he sent his son. For God so loved the world. And from his heart, he gave his very best. He said, this is what you need here. And that's the, kind of, that's the kind of heart God wants me to have. And he says, put it on. Notice verse 12. He goes from vows of mercy to the word kindness. And you say, well, wait, wait, wait. Isn't mercy being kind? Well, yeah, it is kind. kind. It means to be kind. Um. What was interesting to dig a little bit further and find that this comes from a root word, it means to furnish what is needed. Now, someone's compassionate and they come and they, they give a hug, and that may be furnishing what's needed, that may be kindness. But uh, the idea of kindness is that um, I, I, again, observe what's going on in someone's life and, um, and I just furnish what they need. It may need, be that someone needs a... Someone needs a joke today to lift them up. It, it may be that someone needs uh, someone needs someone to talk to. It may be that someone needs me to just say, "Hey, let's pray together." Uh, kindness. It may be someone needs me to hold the door for them or carry their groceries out from the store to their vehicle. It may be that today someone needs to let me. Um, Cut them, allow them to cut in front of me, um, and I can show them kindness by not laying on the horn, horn for 15 seconds, letting everyone know my displeasure, and um, and I can just show them kindness because, because well, they just need that. Uh, furnishing what someone needs. Again, I got to be uh, discerning what's what's happening, but. Um, when I saw the root word, I thought, man, that's a, a great way to understand it. I'm just going to seek to meet needs today. Mark Twain said this, kindness is a language that deaf can hear and the blind can read. I, I don't often quote Mark Twain because there's a lot of quotes you don't want uh, to quote. And he was not godly at all, but um, he was making a statement about kindness that is very true. Kindness is noticed by people. In fact, sometimes kindness is not liked at all by people. You know that? Today, you know, can almost get in trouble if you hold the door for a lady. <laughs> you can if it's the wrong lady. Uh, you can. 
but most people just appreciate it when you show kindness. Just meet a need. And that's what God asks us to do. By the way, um, that means at home too. Okay, men, I'm going to get in trouble. But that means, because uh, I've noticed that I need to work on this, um, just noticing that your wife's awful busy and maybe, um, maybe um, providing dinner. Or, or clearing the table, table for them when you usually just walk off and go read the paper or watch TV or something else. Just being kind. Seeing there's something that needs to be done. Doing it. Kindness. Add that. Put that on to your life. Do you not know how how much this is needed? We we have become we're becoming so self-absorbed. Seriously, have you have you seen have you seen people are self-absorbed today? Even I, I go we walk pretty much every day, and um, and as we're walking down the road and, and things like that, people are self-absorbed. And I, I mean, like you'll hear so they're walking, no one's around. They're just talking. Well, you know who, who they're talking with? People on their their phone, and and every play, every store, people are in their phone. They're sending text messages. They're 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 uh, they're shopping while they're out shopping. You know, they're doing all sorts of things, but they're in their own little world. And we can get that way. And kindness really forces us to get out uh, out of ourselves and say, Hey, what does someone need? There's there are people around me. Have you ever had someone bump into you and just ignore that, act like you didn't even exist? And I've had I've had it happen where, in a crowd, I even try to say excuse me or whatever. People rarely do that, because people are self-absorbed. And God says, I want you to get out of yourselves. Stop thinking only about yourself. Be kind. See what someone needs. Good to see you today. It really is. Thinking about you today. Uh, stop living your own in your own little world and start looking outside. Have someone over to eat. Um, prepare a meal for someone else. It, it, it's raining. You got an umbrella. Offer it to someone that's a stranger. Kindness. I, I love what Bill Rice. I, it, it sticks in my head. It's nice to be nice. And it is. It's nice to be nice. Put that on. But what what have you done for someone else lately? Seriously, what have you done for someone else? Out of kindness. If you can't think of things, then maybe you need to put this on. Put it on. And you say, well, it's not going to make any difference because people are in their own little world. It may not, but it doesn't matter. What matters is that God is pleased. And he is because he's the one who gave us this list. Put on kindness. Notice in verse 12, 
Wow, we aren't going to get through our list. See, that's why I didn't want to get into this list. I knew I'd take so long on it. But it's so these are important things. Humbleness of mind. Humbleness of mind. Humility of mind. Uh, have you ever heard the name George Washington Carver? Uh, he was a world-renowned um, chemist, botanist. Uh, but you know... If you had seen him when he was a child, you would have never, ever thought he would ever achieve anything or become anything. Uh, a number of reasons why. First, um, he was the youngest son of slave parents. His father died in an accident, and his mother was lost after his family was kidnapped by slave traders. But somehow, Carver became a Christian as a child, and he never lost his faith in God. And never lost faith in the fact that God was at his, his, his side. Now, as someone who was a slave, he struggled to gain an education, but he taught himself. In fact, he taught himself by gathering plants in the forest. He earned enough through odd jobs to graduate, to go to college, to graduate from college. And at Tuskegee Institute, he set up a laboratory and he called it God's Little Workshop. And, uh, and, and it was. And he came up with some amazing and made some amazing contributions to the world. Um, he was very successful. But you know one of the trademarks about uh, Carver was his humility. He constantly, all the time, attributed every idea that he had and every success he had to God. He would say that God spoke to him clearly. That's what he insisted telling him what to do step by step, and that this wasn't his idea, it wasn't his work, it was God's work. Now, people called him naive, people thought that, uh, that he was, uh, some thought he was rather crazy, but he was adamant that the Creator had revealed these things to him, and the Creator had worked with him, and the Creator had given him wisdom. And he would say that God revealed his glory through a peanut, through sweet potatoes, and through a cowpea. Because those are the things that he did study with. You know that he could have had numerous patents. He only had one. He could have had numerous patents. He could have made tons of money through the inventions that he had. But he always viewed his inventions as something God had given him. And he refused to get patents so that anyone could use what he had learned. Because he had humility of mind. It's not about me. It's not about my life. It's not about what I get. It's not about my pleasure. It's not about how I live. Do you realize what kind of difference that could make inside a home when, a, if a husband and wife were both saying, it's not about me, a humility of mind that says, I'm going to put others first? Do you know what difference that could make? Uh, with siblings, brothers and sisters, and, and sisters and sisters, and brothers and brothers, because we're not going to just pick on a few here this morning. If they would treat one another with humility of mind, it says, I'm going to let my sister go first. I'm going to let so-and-so have, I'm going to have humility of mind. It's not about me. It's not me first. It's not my wants. Um, humility of mind. Put that on. If you haven't gotten challenged yet, we've only gotten through the first part of the list. 
Philippians 2.3 says this, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Um, do you realize that churches can use that? People that just say, I don't have to be first. I don't have to be recognized. I'll just do whatever needs to be done. Humility of mind. Not just churches, not just homes, everywhere. Um, and I'll tell you, that's not natural. Would you all agree that these things, just, just what we've looked at thus far, these things aren't, aren't natural? He says meekness. Jesus Christ was meek and lowly. And it is a humility of life, but we just talked about a humbleness of mind. And we could probably argue that maybe meekness was the other side, whereas humility of mind and thinking, which would lead to humility of action. So I would agree that we could look at meekness from the sense that it would just be a laying aside of your rights, which Jesus Christ did in his actions. But to me, that's kind of humility of mind. So is there some way to understand meekness in a little different light? And it also means gentleness. And I think that's the way we need to understand it in our text here. Um, gentleness. A, a mother was describing, she said, I never knew gentleness until I had a baby. And then I, had, I learned it. And it's you've you got to be gentle, don't you? I mean, I know they won't fall apart or anything like that. But you see guys when they first, you know, when first, were their first, it's like, you know, oh, dealing with China here, you know. Like, uh, you know but... You, you learn gentleness. You, 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 they're crying, and you don't know why they're crying. And so you, you, you cradle them in your arms, and you, and you hold them close, and, and you, you try everything. You know, with, with our, our daughter Rachel, it was, it was this. She, they, they, she laid this way, head, head here, and, and, and we, would, we would walk around at night because she was a colicky baby at night. Okay, so you can tell Rachel, you know that about her now. And so it was just, it was just that gentleness. It was, sometimes it was for an hour or two every night. It just seems like she would, she was just a troubled child, you know. Um, but and and this would work. And so we'd walk around the room. It's gentleness. It's um, meekness is working with people that way, being understanding. We can be so harsh uh, at work. Uh, no one said you have to be mean about it. Gentleness. Um, so does anyone um, find some things to work on? Let, let's give you one more, long-suffering, because it's verse 12. And then we'll pick up again. We're going to take opportunity to do it because these are important things. Long, um, well, it means to. Are you ready for this? Suffer long. Just want to impress you with my knowledge. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> okay. You knew that. All right. Uh, patience. Putting up with things for a long time. Uh, someone explained it this way. Every day brings us an array of things to try our patience. You buy something that needs to be assembled, and the instructions don't make sense. <clears throat> uh, you, um, you're out on the golf course. You hit a straight drive, but when you get to where it ought to be, it's not there. You, you toss 16 socks in the clothes dryer, and you only get 15 back. Um, 
And they went on and said, Paul says, clothe yourselves with patience. When we're clothed with patience, we, observed new, we absorb nuisances. We absorb them without fussing over them. And so uh, they explained, we have to absorb some of the, the people that annoy us as well. Strangers, you know, the, the pokey drivers in the left lane. The people who let their dogs bark all night. Uh, the person ahead of us in the 15-item express line in the supermarket that has 19 items. And they chat with the checkout clerk, and they finish fish for their checkbook only after everything's been rung up. And then they want to review the bill. And you're trying to get out of there. Patience. They went on. Strangers try our patience in a lot of little ways, but they're no match for members of our own family. Uh, the prime cases of annoyance are domestic. C.S. Lewis said this, when two humans have lived together for a while, it usually happens that each has facial expressions and tones of voice that are almost unendurable to the other. And then uh, the person writing said, I think we understand. It's not that your family does anything wrong exactly. Just once in a while, she lifts her eyebrows in a certain way that drives you nuts. It's just that he whines even when he's not complaining. Um. Paul says, close yourselves with patience. We need to absorb patience like, um, like a, a cotton shirt would absorb rain falling on it. Just let it come, and I'm going to handle it. We need patience to manage the annoyances of life um, that come our way. Patience. Um, we've only gotten through half the list. Anything to work on yet? If not, you get to read the rest, okay? And work on those things. But perhaps uh, perhaps God's challenged you as he has me. I, I, I went through the list, and I, I don't know if there's any that I couldn't improve in my life. What about you? Is there a certain area that maybe God's spirit brought home? You said, wow, that's an area in my life. I got to put that on. Then what? There's no better time than today. Start. Well, my wife will know that I heard preaching on it. She'll just say it's temporary. So? So? Be kind anyway. Because it's right. Well, my husband won't appreciate it. He'll just say that I made, he made, the preacher made you feel guilty. So? Maybe it's just that God's Holy Spirit said something to you. And it's time for you to put it on. I don't know what, but I find it hard to believe that a Christian could come to this list and say, I don't have to put on anything. What does God want you to do? Do it. Put it on. And I can't help but believe it's going to make a difference in your home. But even if it doesn't, it'll make a difference in your relationship with God. Because he's the one who told you to clothe yourself. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.